Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is way more than visibility with my friend, Adam Campaign. How's it going there, Adam? It's going well. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. So before we get started, tell us, what is your company and where are you based? What do you guys do? Sure. I am the founder and CEO of a company named Clear Metal. We are based in San Francisco and founded out of Silicon Valley, although people on our team are located almost everywhere in the world. And what we do is we sell software to the largest retailers, manufacturers, and suppliers in the world to really help them do two things, to help them more efficiently move their inventory and product from point A to point Z across the world. And second to that is we help them both get from their suppliers and more importantly, give to their customers better transparency about how those goods and how that inventory is moving across the world. And you guys are very much a software company. You don't actually touch it. Uh, That's right. Pure software put in the hands of these large corporations to help them make decisions about how that physical inventory moves. That's right. The uh, information about the load is just as important as the the load itself these days. So before we get into the topic, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And give us some career highlights. Sure, sure. So I grew up in North North New Jersey, went to undergrad at the University of Michigan. Go Blue. That's right. Go Blue, Joe. And then following that, I, I later got my MBA at Stanford University with actually a five-year stint at Google. And so that's probably the career highlight. I was doing some pretty interesting work with them. The two main problems we were solving was, how do you serve 2 million customers with 2,000 salespeople or service people? And then second to that, when smartphones were proliferating in 2009 and 10, we were helping businesses answer the question of what do we do with this new thing that's called mobile? Is mobile just a fad? Is anyone going to buy anything on a phone? Or do we need to figure this thing out? We know the history there. But that was really what I was helped building out for Google was their mobile business. So I noticed that. So I, I live right near Ann Arbor and I'm there often. They still have some people in Ann Arbor. I think they moved a lot to Detroit to consolidate. But uh, did you work with them in Ann Arbor while you were there, or were you recruited right out of school and moved out west? So I actually I was recruited out of school. And did you get it go there after your MBA or before your? It was before the MBA, so after Michigan undergrad. Yeah, I was right there, and they had actually quite a large campus. I think at the time it may have been the certainly the top five office in terms of size in the U.S. They soon grew to over a thousand people in, in Ann Arbor, but nevertheless, I was I was actually in the Boston office. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So moved out there. I noticed Google, again, I think they consolidated with the, they'd moved a lot of the Ann Arbor people to Detroit. I know there's Google has vehicles that autonomous vehicles driving around Ann Arbor. And they do it. Ann Arbor's got a lot of weird stuff going on these days. I, I saw an autonomous vehicle the other day and I was like, weird when you look to the car next to you and there's nobody in it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I'll have to come back and visit soon. We'll go to a game or something. Yeah, I, go, I have season tickets. <laughs> and, and this year we're playing. I don't care what they say. That's right. So when did you start Clear Metal and what was the reason? When and, when and why? Yeah, so we, we started a few years ago. This was back in 2015, essentially, when the real idea started. The reason was I was in business school at Stanford. I, out of odd curiosity and fascination, chose to go over to Hong Kong and work at one of the largest container shipping companies. This company is called OOCL. 
And, you know, it was really the acute insight that I had there that I then pulled back to, to Silicon Valley, meeting my co-founders who were graduates of the engineering school there. And, you know, the insight was a fewfold. It was first that supply chain problems were being solved essentially through metal, larger ships, more warehouse space, bigger ports and terminals. And we started believing that the value was really lying in the data, not the asset. And so the name of the company became Clear Metal after that premise that it's not about the metal. It's about seeing through the metal and paying attention to the data beneath. That was kind of premise one. Premise two was that if you look at the way the Amazon effect had sort of rippling up from consumer lives into corporate business-to-business constructs, we saw a trend happening where we believed, and I think is now true, customer demands were far outpacing supply chain's ability to perform. And so supply chain professionals would just need better information and better tools to make the complex decisions they need to make. And then the third premise, not to be too long-winded here, is that if you looked at the brilliance of how Google used dynamic machine learning and data science techniques to find the source of truth around where points of interest were around the world, they could then provide all of us consumers great applications and value like search and traffic and navigation. Wait, what, what do you mean by points of truth? What I mean is what I learned for Google was creating Google Maps is a very, very difficult challenge. There are about 90 million records about where local businesses are. And those records are actually conflicting and all sorts of messed up. The satellite says one thing, a consumer says another. The city government's records says something totally different. And so to find a point in, in the world, you need to actually make sense of all those records and find a single source of truth about where that location is. Well, the same is true, it turns out, in supply chain. Many, many different records about where a ship is, where a product is, where a container is. Right. And not unless you can figure out the source of truth of that data of where actually that piece of that piece of product is, can you then provide information like where to move it and when it's going to be delayed and when it's going to arrive? Right. So it's the same the parallel problem. Yeah, I just mentioned autonomous vehicles. One of the challenges with those autonomous vehicles, I know, is understanding where you're at. So you know, if you or I are driving a car, we can see where we're at. Mm. The vehicle it has sensing systems, but at the same time, it is receiving information from. A map. <laughs> and if that map's not right, and it says, hey, I'll turn here, and you just turned uh, onto a curb, <laughs> you know, that six feet mattered. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think the, the problem you're touching on in global supply chains is there is data about where things are, but that data isn't correct. And that data comes from so many different parties. Unlike when we get in a car, you get in a truck and go from Chicago to Atlanta. It's quite simple. It's quite clean. When you're talking about international business freight, you're talking about 30 or 40 touch points, many different parties like a port and a train and a trucking company and a shipping business all involved in that single piece of products movement across the world. The data is there, but it just doesn't make sense. And so finding sense that information is incredibly important for global trade. Right. So, so one more time, those three premises that you guys had was? Was it's not about the metal, it's about the data. Yep that supply chains were soon not performing against modern customer expectations. Which are high. <laughs> which are high. And then lastly is if you can find the source of truth in that data about where things are as they move across the world, there's a whole lot of value that accretes to the people moving them, but more importantly, the people whose goods those are. Right. So this is a little off track, but when Google's making Google Maps, and I, I'm, I know that's an ongoing thing, is they have a satellite where they take pictures of where things are at and go, that is... That is Joe's house? They do. I mean, there are many different inputs and different data signals that most all the mapping companies are using to figure out where things are. 
satellites, city government records, people uploading information online, third-party sources that they'll scrape or amass information from. And I think where you're going with this is it does work the same way in supply chain right? to create visibility. Where I was going with it is I love those satellite photos that Google takes. And then every once in a while, you'll see like the weirdest thing. You're like, is that a monster on that front lawn? (laughs) And I've seen those. I've seen those enough where you go, there's some strange stuff that Google has captured on on their satellite images. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. So you started Clear Metal with the idea that we're going to help shippers. You're, You're really not focused on 3PLs at all. You're focused completely on shippers. That's right. Yep. The largest retailers, manufacturers, and suppliers. Okay. So we talked about this when we were prepping is, you know, you do visibility. And I think one of the things that is so common when I talk to people is everybody says they do visibility and we've, they talk about it being a spectrum. And I think, you know, one of the things he says, look, we do it really well. So does everybody else. And I, (laughs) you know, I can do it with a chip. I can do it with a phone app. I can do it a million different ways. So speak to how you do the visibility first. And then I want to talk about way more than visibility. Sure. Sure. Happy to. So yeah, I think your point is right. I mean, visibility and having some indication regardless of how accurate or precise that indication is of where something is, you know, that's largely a, you could call it a solved problem. There's a wide range of, a wide range of quality, but you're right. That's generally collectively by the industry solved. The way we do it, and we're very far on the side of the spectrum of high precision, high accuracy, high completeness of information, and just the core data quality prowess that we, we bring to large shippers the way we do this is twofold. First is about access and aggregation of information, right? The way we get our information is through, a, I believe, the largest international network of transportation data. That is direct pre-established integrations with the largest ocean carriers and freight carriers, third-party logistics companies, satellite providers, port and terminal data, third-party data amassed about where transportation assets are, vehicles and things. Second to that is we're pulling in information with regard to our customers' inventory, sales order information, purchase order information, stock transfer order data at the line item level, and even metadata such as, for example, red shirts that are moving, right? So it's, it's first and foremost a network of data that's both transportation information as well as inventory information. Yep. Second to that are the techniques and the approach that we're using to make sense of that data which is far and above more important. So we're using highly dynamic machine learning and data science-based techniques that we've built fully in-house from... Well, before you get to that, so I think what's interesting about what you guys are doing is when we talk about visibility, a lot of times we're talking about here. And so most of the conversations I have about visibility are visibility within the United States, usually with truckload or LTL or small parcel, which is let's face it, five years ago, that was uh, somewhat rare or we had it, but it was rudimentary. Now it's just getting better and better and better. But I think the challenge has been you can connect truck drivers and trucks and it's with chips. It's not super difficult. But what you guys are doing end to end, you're doing a lot of stuff in international and global shipments. I think that's, and you're not doing it necessarily with chips. You're doing it with data that's already out there. So you're taking it from somebody else's you're grabbing other people's data. And I think there's a, an advantage to that is I don't have to worry about shipping everything if I'm a manufacturer. That's right. And actually, Joe, you're, talking, you're pointing to a very important piece here, which is in domestic transportation, the shipments themselves are actually, you could, you could talk about them in sort of a simple way. They get on a truck in Chicago, they move to Atlanta, they get off the truck, and that is the 
entirety of the journey. Yeah, it's two days. <laughs> Internationally, not only is it a longer transit, 30, 45 days, but the intermodal aspect of it, so train, truck, ship, and more importantly, the multiple parties involved. Right. So 3PL, multiple different carrier types, all making a handoff with that single shipment right. is very, very complex, not to mention where the data is coming from related to that single container that moves is a ton of different sources. And so you're right. right. The data is surely there, but the, the, the order of complexity here is right. so much larger because of that international. Right. And I think it's not just internet. So I always, whenever we talk about international shipments, first off, we have the enormous distance. And then we have the time zone. I used to work a lot in China. The hardest part of working in China was we're 12 hours time difference, so they want to call me at 9 o'clock at night, sometimes 2 in the morning because they have a problem. And so the time difference is a challenge, but then there's the cultural difference, language difference. And so that's part of every international shipment. And then in addition, we have how many players? I have the, I have the domestic transportation in China. I have the port in China. I have the shipping company. There might be a clearance company and there might be a warehousing company in there. And then I go over the ocean then I got to go all through that same process again. Yeah. Clear customs, maybe a warehouse involved. It's got to be unloaded. Then there's a truck here. So I think the average amount of touches or companies involved in the U.S. If a domestic transportation, I have a shipper, I might have a freight broker, and I have a carrier, and then I have a, the guy who's receiving it. It's not nearly as four or five parties. Mm-hmm. There's like thirteen parties in in an international shipment, and. The systems are all different. The people are all different. It ain't easy. It's certainly not easy. I mean, this is why it's visibility. We're just talking about visibility, nothing beyond it. This is why visibility in an international scale or global scale hasn't really been solved, at least not to the level that customers expect today. And I think you're right. You've got, in our system, there are some 40-odd milestones, you know, touch points from origin on land to destination on land. I think where really where the problem really manifests is within the data. So you talk about cultural or different parties. There are all these different. There's a standardized electronic data interchange EDI message. Right. But the the amount of different dialects and pseudo standards. Right. Are, are just there are so many. So you can think of, the, for example, when a vessel arrives at a port, you have the carrier reporting that information, which is a certain national company, and then you've got that local port and terminal reporting that information, those can be two different terms or synonyms, prefixes for the same event that's translated back and eventually admitted to the person whose goods they are. Right. And they're conflicting and you don't know how to make sense of it. So Right. Yep. So it's way more complex. And and I will also say this, this is almost way more valuable with when you have that international because I think of myself as I'm from automotive I'm looking at my business from order to cash, right? When somebody says I have visibility from your factory to my factory and it's two days, I'm like, that that's cool. But I'm I'm talking about a 10 week process here. That's right. the that's that's the visibility I want. I want the visibility from end to end. And that's what you can provide. And I think so I mentioned you don't do it with chips because you're grabbing data from other sources. If somebody wanted to use a chip, and I know people use the chips for other reasons, so they get a little more context about the, sh- the load, you could track chips even easier, right? Yeah, I mean, our whole architecture is built so that we can take in that great, rich IoT sensor data. And we do have some relationships with partners that do that. 
that only provides further context and further information to how the shipment is moving. So we love IoT, yeah. Right. I understand the idea of wanting to put a chip on a pallet, but there's also, now I've, I've added extra cost and I got it somehow. If it doesn't get broken or lost, I might not get it back, right? <laughs> it's, it's one yeah. more thing to track. So if I don't have to have it, and especially if you're doing a ton of shipping, it's not. It's just one more thing you don't want to have to deal with. So you can give us the same kind of insights without chips, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the largest... I mean, literally the largest and top supply chains in the world are relying on clear metal software to do exactly that, regardless of using sensors. And most often they don't have them. How do we understand tracking in real time, planning for the movement of that freight and giving visibility you know, from suppliers and to customers about how that freight is moving? That's what we're doing, pure software. Right. So now I want to talk about the way more than visibility. So yeah. again, visibility here in the st- just in the States, that is, I won't say it's old hat. There's a spectrum. Some do it real well. Almost everybody says they do it, but you're doing it this whole end-to-end global shipments. That's really cool what you're doing. But now when we say way more, what do we mean by way more? I, th- I think I know you're going to say something about AI and ML at this point. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, and I think even that's the start of it. So there's the basic tracking of where things are and that's making sense of the information. A little bit beyond, I say a little bit beyond that, not way beyond that, is our use of our proprietary use and often patented. We have a number of patents around using machine learning and data science techniques. So dynamic computation type of stuff to ensure higher quality of that data for better decision making and more predictability, I think is what you're alluding to. Better predictability about what is likely to be a delay, when things are likely to arrive based on what's happening right now and the ripple effect downstream. But I think when I think about way more than visibility, I'm talking about the business cases that sit on top of basic visibility. And what, so, so before you get to that business case, so when you apply artificial intelligence, machine learning to this, you're saying we've got tons of data for these similar shipments. And you can tell me, hey, look, if you're at this point here, uh, you're three days from your destination and it looks like your shipment is four days out. So we can predict a late shipment way before, right? Yes, we have massive amounts of historical data that we use through techniques like, it's called probabilistic graphical models and other fancy techniques to understand the likelihood of movement of freight in the context of how logistics flows actually work. Right. That's a big part of it. Yeah, and that's very slick because, again, I think visibility is fantastic. It was something we didn't have so long ago, and it's getting better and better. But what you described here is now I can tell you based on, I can see it, I have the visibility, but now I can tell you, hey, that's going to be late or that's on time. Don't worry about these 20. They're going to be fine. This one, worry about it because something's happened on this one. We know if it sits this long in a warehouse or this long on a dock, something's up. Exactly, because if you think about what companies are trying to achieve in supply chain, it's reliability. And so what you care about more so is what's going awry or what is likely to go awry. And how do I not only proactively avoid those situations best I can, but then how do I respond to them in an adaptive way that serves my customer's need to get that product and get it on time and get good transparency about how that product comes to me. Right. And if I've got like tons of shipments coming my way, let's just say they're coming from China, and somebody says, hey, Joe, you're doing your job. You look, you're tracking all that. You're making sure you're getting all your stuff here. And I look and go, yeah, here's a hundred lines and I'm look, I'm treating each one of these equally. Well, what you can do for me or what Clear Metal can do for me is say, these 98% of those shipments are fine. Don't worry about them. Worry about these 2%. These are the ones that are, are right now looking like they're in trouble. 
you can guide me in that direction. Exactly right. And we have one of the largest U.S. importers, for example. The value they find in using Clear Metal software is the quality of the data and the predictability. And what they do is they judge on time by the last piece of that shipment. So if you're ordering, call 50,000 shirts and that's spread across, or whatever, 5 million shirts and it's spread across 15 different containers, they're judging their own on-time rates from trying to manufacturers into their warehouse by the last container that arrives. And so we can surface that information proactively, alert on it, and give them the, the ability to go track that down and figure out what to do next. So before I took you off track here, you were talking about way beyond visibility. So you can you can help me basically provide predictive analytics that tells me what ones are fine, they're on time, others that might have problems. So what else can you do beyond that? What's the other way more than visibility? Yeah, so so we really see visibility as, as the means to an end, right? You obviously need to know if you are a large retailer manufacturer, where all your inventory is, how it's moving in transit, and how to plan for how to move that freight most efficiently with greatest reliability and reduced cost. What I'm talking about beyond visibility is what are the business problems that these companies have and how do they use applications that sit atop visibility or how do they use our visibility to solve those problems? I'll give you a couple of examples. First and foremost is if you think about a direct procurement team responsible for manufacturing inputs, what you care about is you care about how are my, my suppliers performing for me? How are raw material inputs to my manufacturing processes coming? When are those delayed? And then how do I make procurement decisions based on that supplier's reliability? Or do I need to shift suppliers? So we have customers that are using clear metal software and, and information to actually make decisions about how to give a certain supplier more volume as a result of how reliable they are coming to them. That's example one for procurement. Example two is if you are a if you're in the finance office if, or if you are procuring freight space or making freight decisions, they use our application around dynamic transport planning. This answers the question of what's the lead time going to be for getting my goods to my customer? What mode of transportation should I use? Which carrier should I select this time? And how do I avoid exceptions as it moves across the world? That's before anything is moving, just the decision. And then the third great example I'd give is around customer service and sales. If I'm a large commoditized manufacturer, all I care about is how I delight my customers. And so what the largest businesses are using is Clear Metal's prediction of lead time, as well as a customer portal to say, hey, customer, I am going to deliver to you more on time because I can use Clear Metal data to provide a tighter, more accurate promise date to you. And then as things are moving in transit, I will give you a real-time live updating screen about how those things are moving. Just like you and I, Joe, receive from Amazon. We see the real-time track of what's coming. Right. The common thing that we talk about on this podcast is that, you know, as consumers, we're exposed to Amazon, eBay, DoorDash, Facebook, all these tools. That, and it's raised our expectations about how things can work. And Amazon's certainly done that. I'm expecting something from Amazon and I keep getting their updates and I can get them any way I want them. But I've been in enough meetings where somebody said, I got a shirt that I bought from Amazon in two days and yet I can't get blank from you, right? And uh, so to your point, that customer delight, that customer experience has to be there. And if you want to delight somebody in a, a factory, just get their stuff there on time. <laughs> That's exactly it. I'd say probably the primary use case these large manufacturers and companies are coming to us with. It's, it's no knock on the supply chain professional or the supply chains and the software that has existed today. It's that we're finding ourselves 
in a new game with a heightened bar of expectations. Right. And the data that software doesn't live up today. Yep. When you think about when software started really having an impact, you know, after the internet kind of caught hold. And if you were just working within an office, you say, hey, we're high tech because we're all networked together. That was, a, <laughs> we're all on the same server. That was really slick. I can save something and you can open it. Big whoop, right? Well, that was easy because we're all in the same place. What's always made people say logistics and supply chain are behind. The reason we're behind is because we're the ones who are moving stuff from China to the U.S. and like 10 players in, in, in between. So the reason we're behind is because it was hard. It still is hard. It is, exactly. It is hard. It is very hard. The easy dots got connected a long time ago. It's the hard ones that we're connecting now. That's right. And, and you know, I, I think it's fair to say the digital transformation of supply chain, it, it is a journey and it is something done in sequence. And so we've all benefited by the last mile improvements, right? From warehouse to our door as consumers, fantastic. Right. Now the supply chain has moved to a point where, well, business to business transactions and movements now those need to improve. And most, C, even CEOs, not just chief supply chain officers globally, are saying, hey, this supply chain needs to be a strategic advantage, not a cost center. Right. And you need to digitize and get the capabilities from visibility and far beyond to make that happen in a very efficient way. Yep. Early in my career, I was in automotive. And you look at automotive, those are considered manufacturing companies. When I was, I've said this a few times in my podcast, I remember somebody probably 20 years ago said to me, we're looking for a supply chain guy and you were recommended. I was like, supply chain? I was like, I, I didn't say it out loud because it was an interview, but I thought, what the hell is a supply chain? Because we didn't use that term. We, we had suppliers. I had a chain, I guess, but we didn't call it that. And I think now if you look at automotive, supply chain is a very important part of it because we're buying so much more and we do have those strategic relationships. And automotive is not the only one. Everybody has those strategic relationships. Very few people say, hey, we're doing tons of vertical integration or vertical manufacturing here. Mm -mm, no, yeah. we're not going to integrate that way. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you know, we, what we say externally is supply chain is the customer experience. There is nothing more important today, we think, in business than how the supply chain performs and why. Because it is the customer's experience, hands down. Exactly. So good stuff. Please summarize all this for us. I know we went a long way here. So. <laughs> sure, sure. Look, the problem at the, at the highest level is that companies are now finding themselves in a new game where customer expectations are higher than they've ever been. And the expectation is for products to be delivered efficiently and the experience about how those products move to be very transparent and in real time. And in order to accomplish that, what companies are doing all over the world today is equipping themselves through a digital transformation journey with global, international, real-time visibility solutions. And what those need to be founded on is a clean, trusted source of data so that the business problem solved upon it can be done with high efficiency. And that is what ClearMetal is doing for the largest companies in the world today. Exactly that. You're giving them that points of truth. That's right. I want to sell that instead of... <laughs> Before you go, tell us a little bit more about Clear Channel. First off, who do you serve? And then if someone wants to reach out and talk to you, how do they go about doing that? Surely. So Clear Metal is, again, it's the number one international visibility and global visibility provider today in supply chain. We serve large retailers, manufacturers, and suppliers. Anyone that is in a business context, any business that is moving 
physical goods or materials around the world, we can assist. If there's interest for these kind of things, which I'm telling you there ought to be, then they can reach out simply on clearmetal.com. And there are use cases and case studies on there from the likes of Georgia Pacific and articles that Unilever has published, et cetera, touting what, what we're doing with these big brands. Did you say Unilever? Yeah, Unilever put out a great article, actually. It's very relevant to this topic called uh, something defective. What happens when you apply machine learning to supply chains, in which they mention us as that foundational data platform. Very nice. For Pacific, we've done, they're a very progressive supply chain. We've done a number of videos with, et cetera. So Georgia Pacific, Unilever, who else, who else do you work with? We work with some of the largest e-commerce companies in the world. We have customers across four continents and I think across nine verticals. Um, so on our website, you'll also see the likes of, I think, Lensing Fibers out of, out of Austria, Rauco down in Chile. It's quite broad and pretty deep as well. Nice. So what I'll do, Adam, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so we can bug you over there. I'll put a link to Clear Metal. And then if you can get me a few links to your case studies, I will put those links in too. Fantastic. Let's do it, Joe. Excellent. Well, I do appreciate you taking the time. It's always nice to talk to a fellow Wolverine. <laughs> and we had to commiserate about the basketball loss, but uh, we did. We did. That's good. I didn't meet, at least I didn't make big bets. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot of us. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. It was a pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>